Welcome to Stories of Faith and Hope, the podcast that inspires your faith and gives you reason to hope. I'm your host, Joel Sutherland. In today's episode, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. She's a relatively new friend. I got to meet her several months ago. She started attending a program that our church was holding, the Lawrenceburg Seventh-day Adventist Church. We were holding a program called Superfoods of the Bible, where we really talked about some of these superfoods and their uses in the Bible and a biblical diet. And it was it was a really good program, really exciting. We actually did eight weeks, and we're going to be finishing the last four weeks of the program this fall. But one of the attendees was Ruth Gibson, and she was coming. She was really excited about the stuff that she was learning. And as my wife and I were talking with her one evening, she started telling a little bit about her story and how much God has really just blessed her life with miracles. And and listening to some of the things she's gone through, it's hard to believe that she's still praising God because she's gone through a lot of difficult things. But at the same time, you listen to the way God has blessed her and the miracles that she's experienced in her life. And and it's just incredible. It, it inspires me. It grows my faith just listening to her talk and spending time with her. She is a true woman of faith and a true woman of God. And so I am extremely excited and delighted that she agreed to be on the podcast. And I'm really excited to share my interview with her with you. And so today's interview is with my friend, Ruth Gibson. How are you doing today? Well, as I told you yesterday, Joel, I have been better. I have chronic vertigo, so I'm walking around a I guess it's like going to the fair, but I'm not having to pay. <laughs> that's that's a good explanation. <laughs> you know, I, went, I went to the fair last year, and I, I got white as a sheet after one of those rides oh, and had to go lay down. No, can't do it. Cannot do that. <laughs> oh, mercy. Uh, I, just, I can't imagine. But like you were saying, it's, it's, it's something you've lived with your whole life, whole pretty life. much. So, yeah. One of my funniest memories was a little girl on the playground was spinning one time, and when she got through spinning, she said, Oh, I'm dizzy. And I just looked at her like, Huh? Because I guess I thought everybody was dizzy all the time. Wow. It was my first memory of, okay, everybody you know, doesn't spin all the time. Mm-hmm. So, and then I was diagnosed years and years later before anybody knew what vertigo was. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's just incredible that that you've learned to, to cope with that and deal with it and, and, and still function. You know, sure. you're, you're here in the studio recording and, <laughs> and you're dealing with this. Most so. of the time, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about, about yourself. Where, where are you from? What... Oh, okay. Uh, born in Memphis. Uh, and, and so, so many things I could tell you about that whole story. But uh, the youngest of four children. My mother um, had me after a very strange conception that, um, might as well say, I'm the product of rape. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a strange beginning. Mm-hmm. I didn't even find that out till I was 14. Wow. And, and Aunt Memphis told me. And when she told me, she said there were tears in her eyes because she thought I knew. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was quite a revelation. But uh, it was a shock. And after a while, I began to go, well, you know what? Don't know everything about my earthly father, but mm-hmm. I know about my heavenly father. Yes. Wow. And learning, you know, early on that your identity is in him. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's incredible. And then I had another really strange thing happen when I was, 
Oh, an early and young teenager, I was probably 13, Joel, uh, came home from school one day just so upset. I said, Mom, I, everybody makes fun of me. They mm-hmm. call me church girl. And I said, I don't want to smoke. I don't want to drink. You know, people are starting to smoke pot, and they make fun of me. And my mother sat at the kitchen table with tears in her eyes, and I said, Mom, what? And she said, well, there's something I haven't told you. My dad was an abusive alcoholic, and um, I was child number four, like I say, and mm-hmm. mother just had the weight of the world on her. She was the only woman in the 1950s that wasn't leaving, that wasn't a stay-at-home mom. And mm. uh, I mean, you know, pretty much. Yeah. And um, she said she was so concerned because of my dad. He came home from World War II and had never drunk. He'd never been a drinker. Mm. But when he came in, he sat down with my mom and he said, I'm going to start drinking and I'm never going to have to remember any, anything mm. that happened. Mm. And he did. He held true to his mm-hmm. word. But mother was afraid that somewhere there was this inherent thing and I was going to be an abuser, I'm a, you know, mm-hmm. something. And mm-hmm. So she took me to baby dedication day as an infant and um, prayed a very quiet, heartfelt prayer to God and asked him to keep me away from the common temptations of this mm-hmm. world. Wow. And shared that with me that day. Mm-hmm. And it helped so much because I really, I never had a desire ever. Wow. To smoke a cigarette, drink a drink, none of it. Wow. However, I heard God's voice out mm. loud once uh, because I decided I was 19 and I was going to go with this guy and we were going to have a drink. Mm-hmm. And I went to the Mississippi River Cross. Club at uh, Overton Square or something where all the Memphis State University kids hang out at. <laughs> he, uh, anyway, long, long story short, he ordered me a drink and and I was sitting there and I took a sip or two and honestly wasn't very good. But anyway, he, uh, I'd, I'd had a sip or two and he, when he said, can I get you another drink? It was like a cartoon. You could hear drink, 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 like mm. it echoed. And I went, wow, it was weird. And I was looking around like I was there was something reverberating and about that time I put my hands on the glass and I heard get out Mm. and Bill looked at me and said are you sick and I said you need to take me home (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I realized I had stepped over some boundary where it was like I had made this decision Mm. uh, not to ever drink alcohol afraid that I would become an alcoholic Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was, I guess, the only time I can ever say I've heard God's voice out out loud. Wow. That's incredible. And so, I mean, just from the very beginning, you know, dedicated to God in that way. um, And asked... Asked him to keep you from this, and and he he did. Yes, and that's that's incredible. Yes, uh, we we were talking uh, probably a month or two ago, um, and you were telling me some incredible miracle stories that oh. have happened in your life, and, oh, and I know there's there's more than more than we can countless, tell in this. Countless. But uh, is we, there one that you want to share? Sure. One or well, two? We, we would have to have a whole program to talk about my three girls, but each and every one of their from conception. To birth, I have one that's written up in the medical journals. Journals Rebecca Doe, spelled oh, wow. the biblical way, mm-hmm. that you'd have to look up. Who was not supposed to be here, had a geneticist flown in from um, Utah, who interviewed me about why I thought she was here and and all that. So that's that's a whole that's an hour story right wow. there. Wow! But um, but because we did, we had a child that was never supposed to be here, mm. and her chromosome count was off. She never supposed. Full term and everything. Wow. 
But I think the one that you overheard me talking about, uh, I was in a head-on collision. My mom did not have a lot of money trying to raise four children in the absence of a husband. And, um, but we went on a trip the 4th of July to Blue Lake, Arkansas, and my brother was driving. Uh, we had a head-on collision, and it was so terrible that um, it made the front of the commercial appeal, the big Memphis paper. The oh, next wow. Day. Wow. And we hit the rear of a semi. My brother could not mm. stop in time. He was young, following mm-hmm. too close. Mm-hmm. And uh, he hit part of the semi and tried to pass, hit the corner of it, tried to pass and hit head on, just gambled that uh, no one was coming yeah. to the left. And uh, anyway, horrible, horrible accident. My mother went through the windshield. Uh, she was supposed to die. Um, I severed my tongue. Mm. I mean, it was all but a thread from what I was mm, told. Right. Um, and they said, <laughs> people who know me will laugh at this, they'll never be able to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that's just hysterical. But uh, I now realize that God knew I was going to give him the glory and the praise mm. for, for recovering from everything that happened. God mm-hmm. knew this. And so he said, she's going to have, have to have her tongue. <laughs> So that's my only explanation. I don't know. I have no memory of ever stuttering or stammering or anything like that after the recovery. I remember my tongue was thick, and I remember having trouble breathing through my mouth and drinking lots and lots of wonderful milkshakes. (laughs) But as far as when I was recovering from that, nothing that that I can, my tongue always, (laughs) always worked. So to me, that was such an amazing God thing. And then that my mother survived. Uh, I mean, until the day she died, she would be rubbing Pond's cold cream in her face and having pieces of glass Mm. out of her face. But, you know, we all survived that horrible, horrible accident. I think that would be the first actual miracle that I would claim in my life. Mm -hmm. How old were you at that time? Ten. Ten. Mm -hmm. Wow. The year John Kennedy was assassinated. Mm. So many other things. Mm-hmm. But, and nobody even knew because of John Kennedy. No one knew about my, <laughs> my problem. <laughs> they were too busy focused on the big house. Really? So, but... <laughs> wow. That's that's incredible. And so you were still living in Memphis at the time? Yes. Or, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what, uh, what ended up bringing you to Lawrenceburg? What kind of happened? Um, my children's dad was from here. Okay. And um, so he, I think, had had all of Memphis he wanted and mm-hmm. kept talking about Lawrenceburg. And we ended up here in 1991, December of 91, we moved here. Okay. And well, that, that's how that happened. Mm-hmm. So. And... Uh, and kind of got away from Memphis and, you know, the city and, and a lot different pace of life I'm imagining here. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, was, I was honestly so in shock. I remember, and, and no cut to Lawrenceburg, anybody listening, but <laughs> I remember it, uh, when we went up to the library and I said, so this is like a branch. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, no. I said, do you realize that Memphis has libraries with elevators <laughs> um, and, I, and I remember looking at her saying no, this is not going to work I'm out of here but uh, I adore Lawrenceburg and I honestly now would not want to live anywhere else yeah. it's it's been amazing I love it and I, and I you know I remember my mom at one point before 
she passed away, said, so are you ever going to move back? And I said, no, Mom, I don't think so. Tired mm-hmm. of the big city. I'm going yeah. to just stay here. And it, I've met some amazing people. And I, I think we always have to ask, you know, what would I have done if I hadn't moved here? Mm. What would life have helped? Mm-hmm. You know, what would yeah. hold someplace else? I think it's so interesting to look at that. So it's been good. It's good. been really good. Yeah, my wife and I, we moved here almost a year ago, and uh, it's definitely, uh, it captures your heart here in Lawrenceburg. It does. It does. It's, it does. There's something, something special about where we are. People are so generous. Mm. They're so giving here. If, if something bad happens, some catastrophe, people just, they rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I love that so much. Yeah. You know, it's. I love being able to drive five minutes, like here, and see mm-hmm. you. You know, in Memphis, you can go five minutes away from home and never see anyone yeah. that you that you know. You could spend those five minutes at a traffic light. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so any, uh, any other stories that come to your mind that oh, you'd like to share? How long do we share? have? Uh, uh, we have I, about another five minutes. Well, I could tell so. you a very rapid one. All right. Okay. I told you about my three girls. Uh, my first one, I was told I would never conceive a child mm-hmm. uh, by a specialist. After six years of marriage, still had not conceived a child, wasn't doing anything. And I was told by Dr. Helen Van Fossen that I would never, in her beautiful German accent, I would never conceive a child. So I did. She is beautiful and normal and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Wow. Um, uh, my second child, uh, at nine weeks pregnancy, I knew there was something wrong. I was skin and bones at the time, like a lot of young women. And all of a sudden, I couldn't see my feet. Mm. Overnight, something had happened, and very, very long, long, long story short, I had developed a tumor on my ovary. I went to the hospital at nine weeks pregnant. They, Dr. Robert Ruck, who has now gone on to be with the Lord, amazing man, um, I was in the hospital just to, to view, watch me and everything, and he walked in. He said he had delivered a baby about midnight. Uh, at Baptist Memorial Hospital, and he said something, tapped him on the shoulder, and said, go check on Ruth. Mm. And I would have been dead by morning, along with my second child. Mm. But we went into emergency surgery. Mm -hmm. I was wide awake. Oh, wow. Removed Uh. the right side of my body, removed the ovary, fallopian tube, Mm -hmm. everything. With the most crooked incision, and I know when I went back to see him for my next exam, I said, hey, Dr. Ruck, what's with this incision? How tired were you? <laughs> and he said, Miss Ruth, if at any point I had touched your uterus, it would have, you would have contracted and lost mm. this baby. But then the amazing part of the Audrey story is that um, different doctors and interns kept coming in telling me to go ahead and abort this baby. Mm-hmm. I'd been on morphine for pain progesterone for what she was missing. The first nine weeks of pregnancy, everything that this baby was supposed to get went to a tumor. Mm. She's going to be deformed, mm-hmm. left palate, retarded. This baby, if it ever comes home from the hospital, is going to have to have all kinds of things. I had well-meaning Christian friends during those nine months following or seven months Ruth, are you making preparations for this child that you're going to bring home? You're going to need special equipment, a special vehicle, a special. And I said, no, I'm just going to, we're going to prepare for whatever God 
sense to us. Mm -hmm. And um, but the end of this story is that at two years old, we knew that she was gifted. Mm. She was perfectly normal and healthy, wow. graduated salutatorian of her class, wow. went to college on a scholarship that was so great that above room and board and books and everything, she got a $700 check every semester until oh. she graduated. Wow. Praise she, God. She speaks at least three languages fluently. She teaches ladies Bible class. She teaches singing. She went to Ecuador on missions for a year. In Nicaragua, she has built missions in Mexico. This is this poor little deformed child that <laughs> I was supposed to have aborted. Wow. Wow. And that's what God does. And that's what, that's he, does. what he does. And your, your life and your family's life is such a powerful testimony to that. And, uh, and we could keep on going. We, we have to wrap it up. I know. But there's just something. And, and I don't know if you want to kind of end with, with you know, how your life has been different. You know, it's, it's had difficulty, hardships, you know. But through it all, there's been miracles. And somehow you've, you've managed to keep your faith and keep looking at God and believe in God and, and see his miracles in your life. You know, how, how do you do it? And how, you know, if there's someone listening who's, whose life isn't perfect, what would you say to them? What? <sighs> we only have one choice. Let go. Let God or don't. I've, I haven't even told you about the illnesses that I've had. I had an illness that for about five years no one could diagnose. And, and I can honestly say during that period of time I considered taking my own life. Mm -hmm. What good am I? I'm no good to my husband. I can't keep my housework done. I'm no good to you, God. If you don't mm -hmm. heal me of part of this, what good am I? And he did. Mm. He healed me. On a specific Sunday, I went forward and... I was anointed with oil, and mm -hmm. there was nothing in the oil. It was about faith and asking mm -hmm. God. And, you know, sometimes he says no when we have illnesses, and I wouldn't want anybody to be discouraged because, well, why doesn't God heal me? And maybe it's just he's waiting on, I don't know, maybe for you to get on the radio and give your testimony. <laughs> uh, you know, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I can tell you that from my earliest memory, I knew there was God. And I've told you one of the things I say a lot is I've got a whole lot of doubts about who Ruth is, but none about who God is. And I believe that sometimes he leads us through fire to prove who he is. And I believe, just like Rebecca, oh, you don't know about my third child that we buried. I believe that he allowed that to happen because there was a point during that, I'll have to tell you about that some other time, mm -hmm. that I felt his presence. Mm. I felt the very presence of God, and I would take nothing for that. And I know where she is. Mm -hmm. Wow. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Ruth, for sharing. And uh, we're definitely going to have a sequel to this program. <laughs> we'll we'll right. have you on another time to uh, continue your story and, and to continue sharing. And You're welcome. It's an honor. Thank you, Joel. There are some people that just exude the presence of God. And Ruth is one of those people. And you can't spend five minutes with her without knowing that she truly is a child of God. 
and her story is just so incredibly inspiring just seeing the miracles that God has done in her life it increases my faith and I hope that it has increased yours as well next week we have an interview with a friend of mine, a fellow pastor, Stuart Lezinski. He pastors the Louisville First Seventh-day Adventist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, we have his story, which I know will be very inspiring to you, just as it was to me when I had a conversation with him. So here is a sample from next week's Story of Faith and Hope with Stuart Lezinski. I was born in Jamestown, North Dakota, and I was born there because mother was a patient in a psychiatric institution and uh, she battled with that for years and years and years and um, kind of made it to where uh, dealing with children was a challenge for her and uh, as a child I came up with a stutter, a severe stutter there was some abuse and so on, and I, I grew to understand that it was because of her own um, issues. Mm -hmm. But as a child, you don't understand that. I'm so excited to share with you the powerful testimony of Pastor Stuart Lezinski next week. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Music was provided by Dexter Britton under the Creative Commons license. You can find us on the web at faithandhoperadio.com, on Facebook at Faith and Hope Radio. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Make sure search for us in each of those. Subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Give us a five-star rating. And thank you so much once again for listening. God bless you. And until next week, have faith and hope.